Hello, everyone. Welcome to Eternity, where love never fails. Hello, everyone. Thanks for listening. This is the Eternity Bible Study Podcast, where we walk through the Bible together every weekday, Monday through Friday. We're podcasting from here in the United States and in Zambia with a goal to share our thoughts and encourage one another as we read God's Word together verse by verse. My co-host in Zambia, Matali and I, are both listening to Through the Bible Podcast and then sharing our thoughts and encouragement with you. From America to Africa and everywhere else, God is in control. As always, our attribution goes to Through the Bible with Dr. J. Vernon McGee. So if you've ever wanted to try to read the Bible every day, we hope you can join us. We're regular people just like you, trying to learn more about God and walk in step with His Holy Spirit. So if you have your Bible, feel free to read along. And if not, no problem. We'll try to put it all together for you. So let's get started. Hello, everyone. We're back in this great book of Revelation today, and um, we're going to be looking at uh, Revelation chapter 3. We'll be starting in verse 3 and going through uh, verse 7. But just as a quick summary, uh, just because we're starting off Monday as a new week, you know, Revelation chapter 1 to me was probably the most dramatic book of the Bible. You've got... um, John, uh, who um, is seeing Jesus for the first time uh, in his glory. John, you know, one of his disciples, uh, you know, lived with him, followed him, ate with him, was with him uh, all through his ministry. And he was there at, you know, Jesus' execution on the cross. Jesus, you know, put John in charge of Mary, his mother, during his crucifixion. Um, John loved Jesus. Now John is seeing Jesus revealed for the first time uh, and falls to his knees like a dead man. He can't believe, he can't understand, he can't grasp uh, the greatness that Jesus has in his glory. So that's chapter 1. What an amazing uh, drama that that is here in the Bible. And then in chapter 2, when we start in chapter 2 and now we're in chapter 3, Jesus is telling John, I want you to take some letters to some churches, my churches. And he picked seven of them out. And, um, of course, seven could be symbolic of sort of completeness. Um, and, of course, these churches are, uh, they look like they're representative of churches at the time, but they're representative churches for you know, the whole body of Christ, and for whatever reason, uh, these are these are the churches that Jesus picks. So uh, the first one was for the church at Ephesus. Uh, Ephesus. Um, probably the Ephesus at the time was probably the greatest, uh, biggest city uh, in Asia. <clears throat> Tremendous um, Temple of Artemis that was there. It was like four or five times even bigger than anything the Greeks had built. I mean, it was... um, uh, uh, Paul had done a lot of extensive preaching there. And uh, so he picks them and he says, you know, um, 
the good things, you know, I know all the things that you're doing. The good things is that you're holding on to the, to the doctrine I've given you. You're vigilant. You're enduring. You know, these are the Christians there, and all those things make you feel good. But he says, you know, the thing I'm holding against you is you have, um, you've lost your first love. You've lost the love. You know, of course, the love of Christ, the love, putting love into all these good deeds, you know, and it's just such a convicting message. You can be doing so many great things and in having great endurance and making great impact on people, but if you don't have love in your heart when you do it, you know, Christ says, I know this, I see this. And isn't it a, uh, um, convicting on another standpoint that, that, that Christ is so truthful in everything he says. He doesn't, he doesn't sugarcoat it and says, "Oh, you guys are doing great. Keep up the good work." If there's something they're they're not, he tells them. The church in Smyrna, we saw um, these were folks were spiritually rich. They were enduring a lot of persecution, and he's sort of warning them that you're going to endure even more persecution. And so he doesn't really hold anything against them. He's he's encouraging them. And in the church at uh, Pergamum, um, he says, you know, I know what you guys are doing. You guys are holding fast to my name. You're not denying your faith. And that's all great. But the thing I'm holding against you guys is you're, you don't have enough discernment. You're not judging the teaching. You know, um, you're tolerant. You're, you know, of course, that's one of the buzzwords today. We need to be tolerant. But look what he says to them. You guys are being too tolerant, you know, of heresy, of of untruthful teaching. And uh, wouldn't wouldn't you, um, you know, just hate to hear that coming down on our churches today, that they're just too tolerant. And that's what Jesus says. Tolerant for false teaching. And then uh, Thyatira was another church he calls out, and he says, you know, um, you guys are doing good because you're growing in your love and you're doing all these good deeds in your service. Um, but um, the Thyatiran church, this was a church that lacked discernment and they tolerated heresy. So I might have gotten a Pergamum a little mixed up with Thyatira. I think Pergamum was, uh, they were uh, into false teaching. And the church in Thyatira, they were they were doing great things, growing in love. Uh, Thyatirans were never getting tired, right? But they were lacking discernment. Which again, I think, harkens back to today's church. Today's church, you could say, where's your lost love? You know, you maybe you're, you're uh, doing religion with no love in it. That's like the church at Ephesus. And the Pergamum church, um, you know, they've, they, um, they're holding fast. You know, they're playing in for the long game, but they're, but they're allowing false teaching to get in. And then the Thyatira church, um, they were, um, the Thyatira church, they were, they didn't have discernment. And so then they, uh, then, so then our next church after Thyatira is the Sardis, a church in Sardis. And he basically tells them, you know, you guys are a dead church. Um, what a terrible way to, to get a letter from Jesus, from the Christ, from in heaven. 
you know, you know, the works you're doing is pretty much dead. Now there's a, a few people remaining loyal there. And, um, so I'm not gonna, you know, allow you guys to be forgotten. The few people who are loyal to me, but this church in Sardis, um, is just terrible because they're basically falling asleep. They're falling asleep just like they used to. Now, this was a church that had been conquered several times because the watchman uh, fell asleep on the watch and allowed the city to be um, ransacked a couple of times throughout history. And so uh, he's sort of telling them uh, it's not military ransacking that's going to that you're at risk for it's spiritual because you're 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 falling asleep again. So that's where we take up. Now we're supposed to take up at verse three, but I'm gonna start at verse one uh, here unofficially. Verse uh, chapter three, verse one. And to the angel of the church in Sardis, write the words of him who has the seven spirits of God and seven stars. I know your works. You have the reputation of being alive, but you are dead. Whew, what a big rebuke there. Verse 2, Wake up, strengthen what remains, and is about to die, for I have not found your works complete in the sight of my God. So this is, it's basically, basically, this is a big wake-up call. Wake up. You're about to die. Verse 3, Remember then what you received and heard. Keep it and repent. If you will not wake up, I will come like a thief, and you will not know at what hour I come against you. Yet you have still a few names in Sardis, people who have not soiled their garments, and they will walk with me in white, for they are worthy. The one who conquers will be clothed thus in white garments, and I will never blot this. I will never blot his name out of the book of life. I will confess his name before my Father and before his angels. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. So what's he saying? He's saying, you folks in Sardis, you've got yourself a dead church with a bunch of dead works on your hands. But there's a few people who are loyal. Repent. Keep the word. Because I can come like a thief and I'll come against you. So we'll stop here and we'll continue. Um... Tomorrow, uh, officially, we'll take up, I think, verse 12. Uh, we, we, um, we start into the angel of the church in Pergamum, right? Let's see. I'm sorry. <laughs> um, verse 7, and to the angel of the church in Philadelphia, right? The words of the Holy One, the true one who has the key of David, who opens and no one will shut and who shuts and no one opens. So this is what we're going to stop here and take this up tomorrow this church in Philadelphia. So now for me to all of you, God bless you. Keep your heart centered on Christ. And now I'll turn the rest of the podcast over to my co-host in Zambia, Matali. Matali, I hope you're doing great. Look forward to hearing your take on this really, really convicting letter today. God bless you all. We'll see you next time. Hello, so today's teaching is coming from Revelations chapter 3, beginning at verse 3 all the way to verse 7. We have here the letter of Christ to the church in Sardis. And Sardis is a Protestant church from approximately 50.
1780 to about 1800 AD. So these are not fixed dates, they are approximated dates. And the reason Dr. G.B. McGee sets these dates is they begin with Martin Luther King at the Reformation and then it takes us into the beginning of uh, the Great Missionary Era. So this is not, you know, a pretty picture of Protestantism. And the Lord doesn't have very much to actually commend this church um, about. So the Lord says to the church, that's in um, chapter 3, verse 1, he says, And to the angel of the church in Sardis write, These things says the Lord, who has the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. I know your works, and that you have a name, that you are alive, but you are dead. So this is you know a very good verse in view that you know in view of the fact that the rapture could actually take place at any moment and the church is to be alert but this church was dead so the date and period in which Christ will come is not set and the reason for this is the church is to always be constantly on the alert for his coming so in our last study we mentioned that Sardis was built high upon a mountain top and it was practically um inaccessible inaccessible rather apart from one place you know that was the entrance so in spite of this um a median soldier of cyprus that's in um 549 gained entrance of sardis cause the guard by the entrance went to sleep and then uh, a cretan in 218 bc got through um as well um, because the guard was sleeping and this was embarrassing to the city as you know the two times it was captured was because the guard was asleep so the lord says to the church today sorry the lord says says to the sar uh, to to the church in sardis don't go to sleep wake up and watch out because he could come at any time and this was a word of warning to the church in Sardis. So our study is beginning at verse 3. And verse 3 reads, Remember, therefore, how you have received and heard. Hold fast and repent. Therefore, it will be. So therefore, if you will not watch, I will come upon you as a thief. And you will not know what hour I will come upon you. So um, here... The Lord is saying, hold fast. So the idea is, one is to hold fast these things because they are about to die. So the great truths that were um, recovered in the that were recovered in the Reformation today are being lost. You know, for example, the authority of God's word. So the Protestant Church has lost that. You know, that's one of the great truths. And then there's the doctrine of the total depravity of man. So most churches today, you know, even conservative churches are using, you know, Band-Aid cosmetics on a carnal nature, thinking they can get up, you know, they can, they can make up a few rules and regulations and live the Christian life. But that's not how it works. You know, that's like Band-Aid religion. 
and then the great doctrine of justification by faith has been lost and a legalistic message is being given out today that one has to do something in order to be saved so these are the things um, that characterize protestantism today um, and you know it's far from its original position you know the great truths are lost verse 4 goes on to read you have a few nay you have a few names even in sardis who have not defiled their garments and they shall walk in and they shall walk with me in white for they are worthy so you know we noted that in israel it was never the cop the corporate body of the total national life so it was always a remnant that was true to god so of the church we are told here uh we have a few and the lord called his church um and we have this in luke um 12 32 and just quickly turn to the book of luke 12 32 which reads do not fear little flock for it is your father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom so here you know the church here as we're told in luke uh, we have a few of the um of the lord um that the lord actually called his church and he called a little flock so protestantism um has its saints as well it hasn't been all bad it hasn't not been all uh, grim and bad it has its saints um who did good so the saints love the word and are faithful to god when uh even in these days of, of you know the current days that we're living in in the days of apostasy and in the days of protestantism there were saints who loved the lord and loved the word so they don't and these saints in these days they were not engaging in the fleshly activities so their garments were not defiled verse 5 goes on to read he who overcomes shall be clothed in white garments and i will not blot out his name from the book of life but i will confess his name before my father and before his angels so um this um you know dr jv mcgee tried his best to actually um explain it it's, it's a difficult passage of scripture so the overcomers are the ones who overcome by the blood of christ so one never does it because of his own strength or cleverness or ability so there are two um, definite books um, that uh, are talked about here in the bible so the book of the generation of adam and we have this in genesis 5 1 let me just turn to the book of genesis 5 verse 1 which reads okay um this is the book of the gener of the genealogy of adam in the day that the lord created man he made him in the likeness of god so we you know we are all in that book but it's the book of death and um then there is the book of the generation of jesus christ and this we have in matthew 1 verse 1 and this book is um you know it's an unusual expression it only occurs in connection with 
Adam and then in connection with Christ. Let's see, and that's in Matthew 1 verse 1. Let me just take a look at that. Let's read Matthew 1. 1 reads... It reads, uh, the book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abram. Abram. So here, um, so this, this book is the genealogy of Christ. And this is an unusual expression. It only occurs in connection with um, Adam and then in connection with Christ. So the book of the generation of Jesus Christ is the book of life. So one gets in that book by faith. In Christ, so it raises the question now: If it's possible to be blotted, if it's possible to be in the book of life, and then have their name blotted out, and lose one's salvation, in sorry, yeah, the question, sorry, not is it the question that is raised here? Um, is it actually possible to be in that book and then be blotted out? So in Revelations, there is a great importance that's placed on this book. And there is about six more references in this book to the book of life. So some identify the two books in Revelation 20, 12 as the book of profession and the book of reality. So they say um, names are erased from the book of profession, but not from the book of reality. So others, other expositors suggest that all names are placed in the book of life at the beginning, but some are removed from a person's um from the book for a person's lack of decision or rejection of christ and it causes his name to be removed at the time of death so both of these views have objections and good points as well to actually commend them so the whole thought however is just that this uh, you know it's, it's is this that it was amazing that anybody in sardis would actually be saved because um they looked like there was actually no one who would be saved in sardis but there was um some there that um he said you know their names would not be blotted out of the book of life and he didn't say that anybody had been blotted out. So the important thing uh, here is whether our name is written in the Lamb's Book of Life. That's the important thing um, to look at. And, you know, um, it was, like, um, surprising. Like, um, they were some saints in Sardis, as Scripture has read here. Let me just read it again. It says... Um, you have a few names even in Sardis who have not defiled their garments and they shall walk with me in white for they are worthy. So, you know, in every situation, um, there is always a remnant that God leaves behind. So, scripture goes on to read in um, verse 6. He who has an ear... Let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. So this again is the blood-tipped ear that needs to hear the voice of the Spirit speaking through the Word of God. Christ's message is to his church today. 
Um, so the Spirit of God helps us here um, and makes the things of Christ real to us. So if you have the blood-tipped ear and have faith and believe, only then will the Spirit of God make the things of Christ real to you and me. Verse 7 goes on to read, And to the angel of the church in Philadelphia write, These things says, He who is holy, he who is true, he who has the key of David, he who opens um, and no one shuts and shuts and no one opens. So now here we come to the letter of Christ to the church in Philadelphia. And this is, um, you know, what Dr. Jerry McGee has called the revival church. And this is the church that has turned back to the word of God. And today, multitudes of people actually turning to God's word. So you have this revival church and you have people are turning from Protestantism, from Romanism, and they're turning to the word of God. And this church in Philadelphia is inland. It's way inland and it's not coastal. And this is one church aside from Smyrna that the Lord had no words of condemnation for because it actually turned to God's word. So the two churches he didn't condemn, um, and these that was Smyrna and Philadelphia, these places, you know, are still in existence, although the church has disappeared, but, you know, the places do still exist. Um, they're still in existence. So, yeah, this is our teaching for today. Thank you all for listening in. Um, God bless you all, and have a pleasant day. Bye-bye.